welcome to this Diversity and Inclusivity Finance Forum podcast. Working for difference, making business better and fairer. The DIFF series of podcasts is aimed at helping people from underrepresented groups get into and get on in the mortgage and protection industry. And to help everyone understand why genuinely prioritizing diversity is good for all of us individually, good for your business, and good for the mortgage market as a whole. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the individuals participating and not necessarily of their respective companies, either past or present. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another Trailblazer podcast. Today, we are joined by Brad Fordham and Dina Budier. Now, most people know who Brad Fordham is. Despite his youthful good looks, he's got over 25 years' experience in financial services, and he joined Santander from NatWest as a branch manager, but soon rose to the now dizzy heights of head of mortgages for Santander UK. And he has been through a number of different roles, including heading up specifically the mortgage intermediary activity for Santander. Joining us is Dina Budia. And as usual, I will allow Dina to introduce herself. Dina, who are you? Well, I'm Dina Budia, as you said. I run my own firm, P2M Asset Management. I actually started off at what is now Santander, previously Abbey National, uh, back in 1998 as a financial advisor. I then went on to set up my own firm, which is P2M today. And I've been doing that for the last uh, 17 years now. Indeed, thank you. And so before we get into the fact that you two have a little bit of history, Dina, what made you leave Abbey National as it was then and at least set up on your own? The main reason, to be honest, Barrett, that I left Abbey National was a couple of things. One was the branch that I was in was Wembley High Road, which I always called the heart of Bollywood. So I was surrounded by my own community and on a very generous salary at the time. And I was thinking, well, what's next? You know, how do I progress? I'm starting to get bored, quite frankly. So I wanted to look at different avenues and possibly head office at the time and explore rising above what my capability was at that time. I sort of having spoken to people, having even engaged with head office, I soon realized that the opportunities for me were very limited, mainly because I I was a mother at the time. Flexibility in banking wasn't there. And coming from the ethnic minority, the banking sector really didn't facilitate for me. So I then got headhunted. By anybody that we know or? It was an independent network at the time, Millfield Partnership. Um, I got handed by a guy there who said, come over, become self-employed. The biggest thing for me was having the certainty of, like I said, a generous salary. And I was like, oh my God, self-employed overnight. I I can't do this. However, there's always great solutions provided, effectively gave me the package that I was on, if not more, or the certainty of the package, but on a self-employed basis. So I, I left. I could be the mother. I could set up my own identity. People knew Dina rather than Abbey National because I always believed that people came to Abbey National and not Dina, which was interesting. But I soon realised that actually it was Dina they were coming to. And I set up my own firm. Now, Brad, you were Dina's boss, sort of, weren't you, when she left? And I'm glad she was headhunted and didn't leave because of your mismanagement. 
But are things different now? Would a new Dina working in Abbey National, I know you haven't got mortgage advice per se, but would somebody like Dina suffer from the same thing? I think she said to me and to you that she was always referred to as a salary number never was Dina. Yeah, I mean, I was the regional manager when Dina was uh, one of our advisors in, in the Wembley and Harrow region, as it was. A very successful region it was too. It had some brilliant people there. But if I look back, though, I think there's a number of factors at play. Definitely what, what Dina mentions around the head office kind of community, the Milton Keynes and London, which are our primary kind of head offices, where the head office teams like marketing, strategy, PR comms, all those teams sat. And I think there very much was, you know what, if you were in head office marketing, you were probably a, a uni graduate on a graduate scheme. That's where you, you would start and that's where your career would be. And then there was a separate career path within kind of the retail bank, within branches, really, I think at the time. And I don't think the two ever really mixed. I don't think if we were growing and needed people within some of those head office teams that we really ever considered branch people. I think Dean is right. And I think there's a number of reasons why that was. Today, I think it is slightly different. I still think there's a little bit of that legacy there, if I'm really honest, that we're working on and definitely trying to consider our branch colleagues. And particularly, as you all know, you know, as most banks have gone through kind of branch closure programs and people are displaced, how we utilize some of those individuals. And we are definitely getting better at doing that and bringing them into some of those roles. But yeah, definitely that resonates with me clearly what Dean is saying. It's interesting to Dean. I think you were very brave as a young mum to go into that self-employed role. But one of the things I'd quite like to explore now, which Brad has touched on, is this idea of somebody working in head office, being a graduate, therefore having a career path and a plan and promotion and, and clear goals, et cetera, et cetera. Now, neither of you went to university. So I'd like, Dina, for you to say what it was like looking at graduates, maybe younger and less talented than you, getting on whilst you weren't. Did that in any way contribute to your decision to self-employed you're always fighting it's like a boxing ring really I always felt that there was this inner fire because I felt that my capability or experience in my ability I always had to prove myself because I didn't have that academic degree however when the role that I was doing I was still qualified Santander actually helped me get that qualification then I realized that the experience and working with the people around you allowed you to develop and I think we tend to forget that. I never disregard a degree. It has its place. But in the working world, your ability to progress really should be to the individual. I think that outweighs the degree going forward, to be honest. But I felt that working in the corporate arena, there was just no way of me. You know, how many people do you fight? Brad knew my ability. But as he said, there was this detachment between the head office world and the retail banking. So whichever way I looked, I had actually, funny enough, decided that I wasn't going to go back to Abbey National whilst I was on maternity leave. But Barrett, being who I am, I felt, you know what, I need to go and prove myself postnatal, just need to make sure that I can still be in the top three at Santander before I met, or Abbey National before I move on. And that's what I did. So I went back for another, I think, 12 months and I thought, that's it. I'm still who I am. I can still do it and it's time for me to move on. Very cool. And Brad, you didn't go to university either. Have you felt that you've been held back by that at any point in your career? I guess you never really know, do you? You can only have a perception of whether that's true because no one would ever say that to you. I think combined with the fact of not being in one of these graduate intakes that we ran 
to be fair, pretty successfully and some really good people joined the bank. And I think back to my time where I felt that I was really given an opportunity, which was actually back in the sort of late 90s. And I was a branch manager at Woodgreen, being a North London boy, born and raised in North London, Finsbury Park, Arsenal supporter and all that, Barrett, before you say anything, that actually I was given an opportunity to become a regional manager by a, a guy called Nigel Moore, who was uh, the regional director for London and the South East at the time. And previously, I, I kind of felt like I was a little bit pigeonholed. And you mentioned accents. So whether it was a combination of, you know, not going to university, being this guy from North London, who clearly I'm, I'm a Londoner and my accent makes that pretty clear, whether or not that held me back. And there was a kind of a stereotype of, yeah, he's a good guy, but he's a, you know, he's a North London and he's a bit of a ducker and a diver and, you know, all those sort of connotations that go with it. That actually, maybe you're not bright enough. You're not considered bright enough because of those things. I don't know. But I'll always be grateful to Nigel because he gave me that opportunity to become a regional manager in North London initially and then other areas like, as we mentioned before, Harrow and Harrow and Wembley and stuff. So it is interesting, isn't it? The number of times that we have done this, people have always said it was down to one individual who gave me a break. And I think it's incumbent on everybody to look out for talent irrespective of you know, how the talent is packaged. And if you have that sort of geezer character type, you need to look beyond that. But it has its benefits not going to university because Dina was telling me the fact that you didn't go to university made you one of the most approachable managers in Abbey National. Is that right, Dina? Absolutely. But when we had the pleasure of Brad becoming our regional manager, it was just like, we can relate to you. You're just one of us. And then all of a sudden, we start actually telling him the real issues at ground level or the real concerns, which then allowed Brad, I assume, to make changes and the right changes for the people within the retail sort of branches, which then made us a happier team. And we, I suppose we delivered much more because whenever we asked and if it made sense, we could see the changes happening. Well, in our conversation earlier on, you said your daughter is also a mortgage broker and also, like a lot of young people, chose not to go to university, made a conscious decision not to land themselves with 45 grand plus worth of debt. So there's a huge talent pool of people that this, this industry could actually reach out to and employ. Do you think we're doing a good enough job, whether it's on the banking side or the intermediary side, to let people know that here is an industry where you can develop a very successful career? I'm not sure people realise how many mortgage brokers there are in the UK and the majority of them very successful and doing a great job for customers. And we're in the industry, we know it, we know 80% of the market is by intermediaries. But I'm not sure people out there really know it. So in a wider sense, there won't be many people, I think, who, you know, come out of school, have done A-levels and consider what they do next and think, well, do you know what, you know, mortgage broking or financial services, is that for me and what areas of financial services? So definitely we can do a better job of selling that and trying to attract talent in. I think fortunately where the industry is good is that move between starting off in admin being a power plan, which is where my daughter started, which again, you know, she was fortunate because I wouldn't say because of me, but because I knew the industry and she was sort of thinking, oh, I don't know what to do. And I said, look, you know, you could start here and take an admin type job. Jemima went and worked at Corico for Andrew, Andrew Montlake for Monty. When I think where we are good in the industry is then recognizing some of that talent and developing some of those people to become brokers, which is what Jemima's done. I think there's a great opportunity for younger people and women in particular, A, because of the lack of women within the industry, and also that how they relate to younger people. And Jemima thinks really a lot around digital, around Instagram, how she can build a client base using some of those tools, which I think, you know, is really refreshing and definitely give her some advantages in the future. You touched on the fact that there's fewer women than men in the industry. And I want to sort of move on to talking to Dina about intersectionality, because 
Obviously, you are disadvantaged from a privileged perspective by being from a ethnic minority, but doubly so because you're a woman. So could you just run through some of the challenges you had of being an Indian woman wanting to build a career in mortgage advice? As you said, there's multifacets of challenges that I faced historically. Some of them may be timing Majority of them was uh, sort of the minority, the culture, the community stigmas that I come from. So that when I came out of Abbey National at the time, where do I get my clients from? Who do I go to? That was so the first thing I did, actually, Barrett, was I turned to a few of the, the stronger sort of upholding businessmen in our community. And all I did was actually say to them that I'm, I'm setting up a business and can I ask you to connect me with people you know and maybe I can help them on, you know, mortgages and, and, and the services I provided. And I had this thing in my head that, you know, these strong businessmen are really successful, would really be ready to help me. It was an assumption. But unfortunately at the time, it didn't actually pan out that way. So as with most mortgage advisors or anyone setting up, you turn to your friends and your family and you start developing and growing. But from that, I just felt that I had to give more. You know, in those days, we were doing home appointments. We were running around. Everything was paper driven. Nothing was via technology. So it was more of a struggle. It really was. I then found that there was the cultural stigmas of, you know, my own community thinking, you know, Dina, why are you doing this? Shouldn't it be your husband bringing in the money and being the breadwinner? One of the common things from the older ladies or even the businessmen to be honest, well, shouldn't you be at home looking after the children and making chapatis? And I was like, what? And actually, you know, there was many a times I've had tears. I've had tears because you sort of think I spent hours and hours trying to technically sell myself rather than sell my service. But as time grew, I think I just found with any mother, I suppose, the internal fire, which is your child. And I struggled to pay my mortgage between you and I, Barrett. And, and that just drove me and drove me. And I thought, I'm going to crack this. I, I don't know how, but I'm going to crack this. But sooner or later, I ended up doing seminars at actually, I don't know if Bad needs to know this, but factories around where I used to work because they knew me because they were my clients. So I positioned myself in areas that I was known, which then allowed clients to see that I was there for them. But I, I found that I ended up doing a lot of community driven things like helping them pay their electricity bills and helping them pay their gas bills before I actually got to earning anything. That is a fantastic story of hard work and effort and focus. You did well enough, Dina, to get your dream car, which you haven't driven for a, a year. So do you want to tell us a bit about that? As years go on, you know, you sort of, you have dreams, you have ambitions. And funny enough, as one of my team members, they had this thing in their mind that, you know what, to be a good financial advisor, when you turn up at a businessman's premises to talk finance, you've got to be seen in a good car. It tends to associate with the type of business we're in. And, and I thought I had a decent car, to be honest, but clearly didn't play the part. So I have always had an ambition to have a nice car. So I bought this Aston and I was so chuffed. I was like, I've done it. It was like this inner achievement. But when it came to going around the so-called Harrow Wembley community area that my offices are based in, I was getting a real backlash. You know, the same businessmen that potentially have grown their property portfolios, growing them. I was getting these cocky comments like, oh my God, look at her. She's all full of it. She's driving this flash car. She's earned too much money. And, and within a very few months, I stopped driving it. 
it was in my garage because I just couldn't handle all these remarks. And I, I felt that it was going to affect my business. And I thought, no, 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 let's just get back to ground level. People don't need to know. I do think that's a huge shame. And, and I, that I don't know whether it was it's just the Indian community, which specifically is misanthropic in that way. But I mean, I'd like your opinion, Brad. Do you think you see a bloke in a flash car, you immediately think, well, you think either he's a bit of a whatever or he's done well. Do people see women in a flash car and think they don't deserve it or they're a bit above themselves? Do you think that? Or is that just an Indian thing? I'm sure other than the Indian community, people do think that. Personally, I wouldn't buy an Aston. Just purely probably for that reason of thinking like people will think, oh, look at him, he's up himself, he's got an Aston and, and, and whatever. And probably all the things, some of the things, not for all the reasons why, they thought that with with Dina, but I'm happy to give it a try, Dina. If you if you're not driving that car and you want to lend it to me, and I can see what people think, then you know maybe we could give that a whirl. Brad, in, in terms of what's happening now, and and again, Dina's a member of Dave Santander support Dave. What are Santander doing to more focus on diversity and inclusivity so that they can attract more dinas and nurture them rather than sort of let them sort of disappear? Obviously, I'm sure Dina's given you millions of pounds of uh, mortgage business as a broker. But, you know, are there things that you are doing differently now to make sure that you're nurturing your talent? Yeah, for sure. We're really focused on succession planning and making sure from an equal opportunities perspective, we are really looking around some of those talent pools and and trying to identify talent and bring them forward. I think there's many different ways of doing that. I think also on, you know, around for, Dina mentioned about being a woman and and a mum and all those things and also in and around that around flexible working compressed hours job sharing and all those sorts of things you know we've become a lot better at over the years um, than we were back in the time when me and Dina worked together which is like you know 20 years ago for sure I think we're much more conscious of it and that's the main thing being conscious and and trying to encourage people that that's the key thing and you know I mentioned the, the Nigel Moore bit but I think for us in the bank as kind of senior leaders we need to identify that talent and help sponsor it and bring it forward that's the key thing for me you can have programs in the bank and big headlines around uh, you know we want to encourage this encourage that but it's down to the people and us spotting we we see individuals and we think yeah this person can do a great job here and it's it's up to us to make sure that that you know when vacancies come up that we're encouraging our team and saying you know i was at a meeting with xyz person and you know, they're really good, really bright. And, you know, we should be encouraging them. Why are they not applying for this vacancy? We should be having a look at them. So it's definitely, it's a cultural thing, but it's making sure that individually we make it happen. And I think, you know, I have a responsibility, a big responsibility in the mortgage team in Santander, because we've got a relatively big team is being able to spot, highlight that talent and really encourage it to progress. Just as an interest point, I think it's an enormously worthwhile and noble thing to do. And I think you sort of almost owe it to your own sort of sponsor to do that, to make sure that you're sort of paying it forward, as it were. But do you think you specifically need to go out to find people who have come from underprivileged backgrounds, from underrepresented groups. Can we, for example, say, look, if you've got somebody who's got a first-class honours degree from Oxford or Cambridge and went to Eton, there's no need to sponsor them because they're going to be looking after themselves or the system looks after them. Do you think you need to be more focused on doing exactly what you said, is getting people who wouldn't apply for jobs 
because that's often a trait with people from underrepresented groups and women not applying for jobs? Do you need to sort of push them on that way specifically? That's what we're trying to do internally with the colleagues we already have. But clearly, there's more from a talent pool perspective. You know, if you don't look across the whole market, you're never going to get all the talent that's out there. And like you say, I think there are certain groups, like you say, who've gone to the right schools and right universities, done their their uni placements and all that. And and those people will be well looked after. But there's others that aren't. And I think there's opportunities there for us. So yes, I think is the answer, obviously. But I think there's an opportunity for us in financial services to actually hire some really talented people. And Dina, let's move on to the work that you do in your community now i know you're really close to the community you do a lot of work with the temples you do a lot of charitable work which is extraordinarily noble but what i want to sort of focus on is how do we get more people from the indian community looking at mortgage advice as a profession and not just that old-fashioned focus of if you're not a an accountant a lawyer or a doctor you're nobody i think first it's actually as, as brad said earlier on recognizing that mortgages and financial natural services is as professional as being a solicitor and as, as an accountant. And to be honest, the space for independent financial advice or independent mortgages has become far larger than when I started because the banking sector predominantly took over that space. But over the years, as Brad said, there's been less mortgage advice within the branches than there is independent. And I think the community are turning to us a lot more because it's just tougher to go into a bank and get a mortgage, especially post-COVID. And I think people like myself, or I would say myself, going out there, speaking, educating the community over the last 20 years and time, this second generation that's coming up, there's a lot more diverse work. A lot of women are working or have to work to maintain their lifestyle. I think all these factors have played a big part, which actually makes it easier for the likes of Brad's daughter. And with technology, technology is at the forefront, which again, allows you to get the messages out much more easier than, you know, me going to meet people, spending two hours and all those things that I had to do in terms of networking and branding and it was all physical whereas digitalization has allowed us to do that in terms of your own team Dina do you have you recruited them yourself have you you recruited them from the community that you're in do they reflect you in a certain way funny enough my team is very diverse which is great male women all from different backgrounds language barrier was an issue initially however because a lot of my clients first language was not English so me speaking Gujarati sort of meant you organically end up recruiting from your own community because recruitment in itself, Barrett, I didn't know where to go. It sort of became who you know and this person's got a CV and they send it across and it wasn't the way that recruitment was done in the corporate world. But as the years have gone on, just speaking to the team and generally, you know, English is the first language and it's our choice that we end up speaking in our mother tongue. So as I've changed the culture within the office, we must speak English at all times because everyone on the other end generally can speak English. I found that we've opened up to the wider society, which has helped me grow my business. It really has. And Brad, finally from you before we sort of wrap up, do you actually see from a Santander point of view, when you've got an area like Dina Covers, which has got a strong ethnic mix do you purposely look at BDMs that would be more suitable for that area or, or do you think that's sort of not being fair? What we've tried to do with BDMs, and I'm a big advocate of this, is, is always look internally first. So within our population, what we've tried to do is give people the opportunity who've come through, particularly in the telephony world, who've started off, joined us from one of the telephony teams, become a telephony BDM. And then when we get a face-to-face BDM opportunity, 
we've always tried to look internally and say, can we give one of our own people an opportunity before we go externally? And that's always been the view, irrespective of, you know, my view, if they're good enough to do the job, then let's put them in place and let them have a go at doing the job, right? And that's been a challenge for us because from a kind of geographic mobility perspective, our telephony teams in the intermediary channels are, have been in Manchester and Glasgow, obviously changing now because of the ability of people work from home. So it's been a, a challenge because people have actually, we've helped them and financially kind of helped them to have a go at the BDM job, even though it might be, they might be living in Scotland and the opportunity might be somewhere in England or wherever. And then I think where we probably need to get better, I think it's fair to say, is if we then do go externally for a BDM role, is then looking at the locality. And definitely we want our people ideally to live in patch first and foremost. The patches are quite big. So we have 30 BDMs across the country. So by definition, the patches are pretty big. But yeah, it would be a consideration in terms of, okay, what patch are you working in? What's the community makeup? And therefore, is that going to work in that sense? So definitely a consideration. But if I'm honest, I don't have a particular example. I could say, do you know what, Barrett, this is where we did it. So on reflection, maybe that's something we should probably have a closer look at when we recruit externally. Well, thank you, both of you. It's been quite uplifting listening to Dina's story. And even though Brad had a hand in it, by not helping her in Santander. I mean, half of that Aston Martin is yours, Brad. I think you should just claim it. It's a wonderful story, Dina, the fact that despite all the setbacks and all the challenges you've had, you've risen above it all. And we love having you as a member of DIFF. I hope you get something out of it and everything you're giving back to the community. We need people like you to be a trailblazer and to be a role model and to let the new Dinas out there come and join the mortgage market. It's a fantastic place to be. So on that note, thank you, Brad. Thank you, Dina. And see you all soon. Bye. If you have enjoyed this episode and want diversity and inclusion to have as wide an audience as possible, make sure you share with your friends and colleagues and hit the subscribe button so you never miss an episode.